Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 36. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The second reading is from Genesis chapter two, verse seven through nine. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there God put the man whom the Lord God had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, still in us any voice but your own. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts bring you praise and change and transform us. In your name we pray, amen. Tomorrow, and some this weekend will mark and celebrate the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. While his contributions and his work toward racial justice have helped shape and reshape this country, it is unfortunately undeniable that his dream is not a reality. Not the state of Mississippi, nor any other state has been transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. This is not yet the nation where his four children nor any other black child can say that they were not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The sweltering heat of injustice and the sweltering heat of oppression still mar every corner of this country and its institutions. His dream, while still alive in so many hearts, often feels frustratingly and devastatingly out of reach. Like you, I have known that racism and colonial thought have been built into our systems, institutions, and mindsets. I think of it as the water in which we swim or the air that we breathe. So intertwined is racism into our modern thought and institutions, most of us are blind to it and unable or unwilling to tease it out. I could not name nor identify the water around me or not name it well enough and let's be clear, as a white woman, I will never fully see it, for I am blinded by my privilege. 
I couldn't quite name it or parse it out until I was asked to watch a lecture by Willie James Jennings by a cohort of pastors and lay people of which I'm part. Each of us within this cohort is either creating or pondering what it means to create new and innovative worship communities and worship styles. As I sat and listened to Willie James Jennings taking copious notes, I was blown away. This thing that I could not name nor put my finger upon reared its ugly head and there it was. Racism and distorted colonial thought twisted into our educational systems, our personal desires, the institutions we have created, and even our beloved church. I was watching and I highly recommend that you watch the 2021 Theos annual lecture hosted by a Theos think tank, a Christian think tank that's based in the UK dedicated to stimulating debate around the place of religion in society and challenging and changing ideas through research, through commentary, as, such as Willie James Jennings and events. Willie Jennings is an ordained Baptist minister, as was King and the Associate Professor of Systematic Theology and Africana Studies at Yale Divinity School. His lecture is entitled, Reimagining Western Education in a Time of Racial Crisis. Now, one might wonder how a lecture on education so could so profoundly shift my understanding of systemic racism and the church until one considers that we are as a society and as individuals are shaped by our education and our education systems are shaped by what Jennings calls an overarching image of formation, which is that of a white self-sufficient man. Now this revelation was not shocking. Of course, the white, and I will add straight, self-sufficient man is the ideal in our society. It is where power is lodged. The white, straight, self-sufficient man sits in the places of power, makes decisions, and serves as the arbiter of culture and society, of what is good and right and appropriate. This is a reality we know well, and the reason we advocate for Black, Indigenous, queer, differently abled, female, trans, and non-binary voices to be lifted. But here is what blew my mind. This overarching image of formation goes deeper than the white, straight, self-sufficient man because this ideal is shaped by three characteristics, mastery, control, and possession. These are not tied to any one individual, although they are personified and that they're most destructively glorious in the white, straight, self-sufficient man. These are the twisted virtues that have shaped Western education and Western thought. They are at the core of our systems and institutions, the root of the destruction of our earth and the center of racism. Mastery, control, and possession. These three distorted virtues are deeply interwoven into our Western mind and what it means to be an educated and well-formed, worthy human being. Jennings teaches that these ideals come from out and grow out of plantation life. 
The master looked over all that he owned, the land, the wealth, the people working in the fields, and wondered how it is that he would pass on to his sons and sometimes his daughters what they would need to have mastery and control of this world. What was it that he would need to teach his sons so that they could be masters of their domain, the domain he would one day pass on? They must be in control of their holdings and even their own emotions. They would need to be strong and self-sufficient, able to make decisions for the betterment of his or her holdings and possessions. This very notion of possessions, of course, grew out of a colonial mindset. As the colonialists arrived in the new world, they saw land that could be divided and possessed. This concept of owning land was completely foreign to the indigenous people who already lived upon the land. To them, the land was to be shared and it was they were part of the land, beholden and grateful for the web of life that sustained them. They belonged to the land. The colonial that the land could be fenced, divided, possessed. The land belonged to the one who owned it. But the insidious nature of this belief goes even further. The land and the people who lived upon it were only worthy if the land could be cultivated and profitable. Identity, therefore, was lodged in possession and commerce. Colonialists, according to Jennings, looked upon the indigenous people and came to the tragic conclusion that they did not know how to cultivate the land and to make it profitable. They, therefore, were not worthy or even fully human. Possession, therefore, activated one's right to exist. It gave one the ability to be free and fully human. Ownership equaled identity, freedom, and self-determination. This, of course, was a destructive freedom that said that if one had mastery, control, and possession, they could do whatever they wished with whatever they owned. Now, we can say that these are old ways of thinking and that through the decades we have been enlightened. We want to tell ourselves that we don't really believe that mastery, control, and possession have formed the basis of our Western thought and identity. But if we sit with it and we pay attention, it's everywhere. Home ownership, for example, provides wealth and security for many and has been tied to generational wealth for centuries. What we possess, we can pass on and provide for our children's futures. But what about all of those who have been intentionally cut out of the housing market? Every aspect of home ownership favors the white, straight, self-sufficient man and places roadblocks in front of black, brown, and indigenous bodies and families. Those who cannot obtain home ownership and wealth are seen as the problem, as those who drain the resources that should go to those who have already gained mastery, control, and possessions, the well-formed and well-educated human beings. As many of you know, I am passionate about the environment and more specifically about the pollinators that ensure much of the flora of this planet exists. I am learning what is needed to provide for a sustainable habitat 
and not only for monarchs, but for all the creepy crawlers and the flying insects that pollinate our vegetation. This means that we are really thoughtful about how we tend to our yard. This time of year, my yard to any casual observer is a hot mess because I do not trim back any of the dead plants. Within their dead stems, pollinators find refuge for the winter and the birds eat off of the seeds. I leave the leaves so that the moths and other insects can overwinter underneath their protective cover. We do not use insecticides or weed killers as these destroy insect populations and native plants, weeds that sustain them. I have been carefully teaching my child these ways of tending to the earth. We are teaching her to respect insects and to be considerate and thoughtful about how she treats the land. So when Cora noticed that our neighbor was out spraying the weeds in his yard with weed killer, she was incensed. Mom, he is hurting the environment. He's killing plants and insects. You need to say something to him. To which I, deeply shaped by the concepts of mastery, control, and possession, whether I like it or not, responded, you are right, Cora. I do not like that he's spraying his yard either, and I really wish he would leave the leaves for the pollinators, but that's his yard. He can do with his yard what he wants. What? Really? Not according to James Jennings and not according to those who inhabited the land before us, not according to scripture. In our reading from Genesis this morning, we read that God took the stuff of the earth and formed the first human being, breathing life into them. That first human was named Adam for Adama, the Hebrew word for ground. Adam was Adama. Adam was the ground, the earth, and belonged to the earth and the God that gave him life. What we have lost, and clearly I have lost for a moment there, was this idea of belonging. We have flipped it and perverted what it means to belong. We believe that the land, at least the land that we have purchased, belongs to us rather than recognizing that we belong to the land. My neighbor's yard is no more his than my yard is mine. It does not belong to me. I belong to it. And I belong to the land across the street where my neighbor resides. We are tied together in this interconnected web of life in which we all belong. We belong to the ground in which we were formed and created. We also belong to one another. Jennings invites us to remember the crowd. We read the text in Matthew in which Jesus had compassion for the harassed and helpless crowd. This was a crowd that formed to follow, to learn from and to be healed by Jesus. They were from every background and every station of life. They were not in control they did not possess anything. They were not masters. They were not white, straight, self-sufficient men, but helpless, hapless, joined together by the one that they were seeking. Jesus gathered them together and they belonged to one another. 
and to God through Christ. Within the stories of our faith, within the teachings of indigenous cultures, within the destruction of our planet home, which unfortunately so many of you are experiencing in such horrific ways, and within the lives of those harassed by the sweltering heat of injustice and the sweltering heat of oppression lies the condemnation of our overarching image of formation. The twisted virtues of mastery, control, and possession have led to racism implanted in our systems and institutions and the quickening desolation of our climate. So I'm forming a gentle and a loving conversation with my neighbor about gardening. We both love and live upon this land and we love tending to it. He is out in his yard as often as I am in mine. We belong to the land and we belong to each other. So with my eyes opened, I will engage the conversation that my child initiated for me. I will not see the fences and the idea of possession that divides, but the land and the belonging that joins us to one another. Until we see the ways in which mastery, control, and possession have cultivated our minds, imaginations, and our dreaming, we cannot tease out the racism in our institutions, nor can we reclaim a healthy relationship with this earth. Our institutions are my invitation then is to pay attention to how these ideas, without your knowing it or without your desire, have shaped your view of your land, of the land and your neighbor. Then in our committees, our meetings, and our conversations here at church, let us watch for those three things to appear. The idea of mastery, possession, and control. Watch for them to rear their ugly heads because I guarantee they're interwoven into our life together and into our worldview. Then, and then let us point ourselves to the idea of belonging, to whom and to what do we belong? And how might we recreate our church so that belonging is at the center of who we are as a people and a community? May we release these twisted virtues and work with others for whom Martin Luther King's dream is still alive. May it be so. Amen.